Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Ben Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sp- sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, game trends on Bet Online. So, at, this is what you have to do. It's very simple. As your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. So head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. And joining us on the carne asada is el maestro de la bronca, one of our favorite columnists, Dylan Hernandez of the LA Times. Dylan, ¿cómo estás, amigo? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So, Dylan, you know, you're a truth teller. And, you know, I mean, I, I say you're the maestro of the bronca because people read your shit and you piss people off, but they read your shit. And they, they sit there and they act like, oh, I hate Dylan, but they keep reading your shit because you tell the truth. So you have two articles this past week in the LA Times. And for those of you who aren't subscribed yet, guess what, dude? I got a deal. I, I got it for like six months for like three bucks. I think you guys can spare the three bucks, all right? Instead of buying yourselves a coffee, you know, pay the three bucks, get the LA Times. We need these guys, especially since you guys are so pissed off at the Dodgers right now. We need to support columnists like Dylan who can hold these guys accountable. So that being said, Dylan, of the two articles that you have out there right now, the one I want to start off with is that Otani one, because to me, that's the only thing that makes sense right now, right? In the winter meetings, it seems like the Dodgers are just having a clearance sale, according to every other fan out there. There's not much much action going on. And your article to me really speaks to, to me, that's my fear is this strategy that they have that the reason why they're not spending money is because they're waiting for Otani, but Otani's not a guarantee, right? Oh, definitely not. You know, and I, and I do want to make one thing clear, right? I, the way I kind of phrased it was, well, they're not spending. And the only way to justify this is if they get Otani, right? Now, I think that they would be doing this regardless. Um, you know, they, and we saw this right after uh, the 2018 season, right? Bryce Harper was kind of out there. And now one thing that we kind of, I think, need to remember about the Dodgers strategy, right? Like, even though, uh, you know, they've made kind of some big deals, uh, you know, in recent years, whether it's the Mookie Betts trade, uh, the signing of Trevor Bauer, uh, you know, the signing of Freddie Freeman, all those things happened late, right? And kind of the Dodgers, I think, stance, you know, over the years has kind of been, you know, we don't really need you. Right now, if your market collapses, uh, we're here to bail you out, you know, so because it's all about kind of getting value on the dollar. Right. I think they they view every transaction kind of in this bubble of, you know, we need to win this deal, you know, which is why you don't see them make kind of like deals that, you know, sometimes I would argue that you have to, you know, give up more than you get to kind of round out your team. They don't make deals like that. Right. They need to make 
deals where they feel that they've won every single one. You know, now you could argue, okay, you look at Mookie Betts's, you know, the contract total and say like, well, look at that, look how much you're paying him. You know, Mookie Betts isn't going to get that that money until like he's almost dead, right? I mean, that stuff is like a, you know, way, uh, you know, deferred Guggenheim special for you. Uh, you know, Freddie Freeman, kind of same deal, right? I mean, that was a below market deal. Uh, you know, Trevor Bauer, uh, you know, I, obviously, and I was against that from the very beginning. I just want to make that clear. But that was, again, a very below market deal. And so there's a reason all these deals happen late, you know. And so I think that right now, basically, they're seeing everybody go crazy. Hey, we need to reset our luxury tax. Uh, there is a thing that Bill Shaken uh, wrote about, which is they don't know about the Trevor Bauer thing. You know, I think we're supposed right, right. The anticipation is we'll be hearing about that one way or the other relatively soon. Uh, but that's a pretty, you know, that could be like a 30 plus million dollar swing in terms of, you know, how much money they have to be under the cap and stuff. So I think they're going to kind of like wait that out a little bit. And, you know, and here's the thing, right there. It's entirely possible we get to right before spring training and maybe Dansby Swanson or Carlos Correa don't have a job. And now they're willing to come here for like a three-year deal or something. And then at that point it becomes, okay, yeah, we'll do it for that. Right. They were legitimately, by the way, in on Verlander, you know, uh, now again, my understanding was that a lot of that money was kind of deferred and whatever, but under the right conditions, they would be willing to go over the luxury tax threshold. But if those opportunities don't present themselves where they're getting, I, I think what they feel is a great discount, uh, they're intending to kind of get under the thing uh, just to kind of reset that. So that, you know, the, you don't want to right? And, you know, so that they don't have to pay kind of the 90 percent tax. Now, my argument would be that, uh, you know, Mookie Betts is 30 and Freddie Freeman is 33. And so you kind of have this window of I mean, it could be just like one more year, frankly. Right. I mean, you know, right. In one more year, you know, Freddie Freeman's 34. Maybe he's not Freddie Freeman anymore. You know, because right now you still have two of the best, you know, position players in baseball, um, you know, not just, I think, in terms of regular season performance, but these are also kind of guys that like rise to the occasion. And I know it's weird that I'm saying this about Mookie, given just what a terrible <laughs> NLTS he just had. Right. But when they won in 2020, I mean, he was the difference maker. Right. It was like it was he was the guy. So he's got a history of doing this. Freddie Freeman, same thing. And so, you know, my standpoint would kind of be like, hey, you got this window here. Um, you know, and I think Verlander actually would have been kind of the guy, even though, again, now you can start splitting hairs here and start saying, well, you know, he's his October history is what it is. And he may be not be that guy, but he would have kind of solved a lot of problems in that. You know, I think one thing the Dodgers fear is, you know, having uh, multiple big money guys age at the same time, because now all of a sudden then you're going to have like a hundred million dollars pretty much in dead money weighing you down. Uh, and Verlander, you know, it would have just been a two-year deal, right? So from that standpoint, it's not he, you know, when when Betts and, and Freeman are old and you're kind of paying off that, uh, right? There's not a third salary that would be weighing you down there, you know? So, uh, you know, and again, you know, last um, July, I was kind of arguing in favor of the Juan Soto thing. Uh, not necessarily sure they needed like another bat, but like he would have kind of spread it out in terms of from an age standpoint because of how young he is. You know, when when Mookie and Freddie got older, you have this kind of younger guy and his prime still. And, you know, it's not like a third like albatross type of salary that's going to be weighing you down there. So, yeah, I just think, you know, right now they're just kind of determined to just kind of get under that thing reset you know and we remember the way 19 ended and you know if they don't if if that gift doesn't fall out of the sky um you know for them either right right before spring training or at the trade deadline uh this could be one of those years that it's you know we look back on as rather forgettable 
So uh, let me ask you this. The, the thing about the Otani, you know, if by the time he goes on the market, he'll be 29, right? And yes, Otani addresses two different things. He's going to give you a bat and then he's going to give you an arm. And in your article, you speculated, you know, maybe 400 million, 500 million. And the way things are going, and we've seen it with the market, it seems now that people are, that these players are really going for those, to me, those ridiculous 10-year, 11-year contracts, which for the player is great because it's job security. And it always seems that the trump card the Dodgers held would they would pay that higher year-end average for a short amount of time. It doesn't seem like that's going to be an option anymore that plays for the Dodgers. So they're going to have to give Otani one of those long, decade-long contracts. And how much longer can this guy do this? Because... We've never seen anybody do what he's doing. Yeah, um, I, I will say this though, right? Um, you know, so Trey Turner just signed. What is it? Eleven years, three hundred million. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the average comes out to. Right, close to thirty. Um, if they're paying him thirty a year, he's probably worth fifty or sixty. Right. This is their version of like the hockey contract, right? Where you know <laughs> they used to sign guys for like thirty years as a way of kind of deferring the money. Right. Uh, yeah. Look, the Phillies aren't stupid. You know, Trey Turner uses his legs. He's a leg based guy. His legs will go at some point. They're not expecting him to be any good at 40. Right. You're you know, I don't know how many years they're thinking, you know, they were probably thinking what, you know, four years of kind of in his prime production, you know, a few more where he's like a solid player. And then if you get anything more out of that, that's almost like, you know, bonus. Right. Um, you know, so. I think, you know, if anything, what's kind of the issue, I think, is that, you know, you're going to have obviously revenues are like way up um, in the game. Uh, franchise valuations are way up. Uh, and now you're going to have the gambling money coming in. Right. This is going to be like billions of dollars. I mean, as it is baseball's, I believe, a 12 billion dollar a year industry. You know, I've talked to some people that have speculated that the gambling income is going to take it up another, you know, five, six, seven billion dollars. Uh, there's money there. Right. I was talking to some front office executives from like other teams in the lobby at the winter meetings. And they were kind of joking about how, you know, the luxury tax threshold hasn't um, gone up in accordance with how much money, how much more money there is now. Right. And somebody was joking, we're going to have to start paying these guys under the table, you know, (laughs) the way they do like in soccer. Um, You know, so I think the, the issue is actually more that the luxury tax threshold hasn't gone up, I think, you know, in accordance with how much money there is in this game right now, because you're kind of seeing, right, the fact that like the Padres, you know, there's all this crap that we'd heard for years, you know, small markets can't spend, and can't spend. And here you have, it's just a matter of like, how much do you want it, you know, at this point, because the money's clearly there. And we're going to see with this angel sale, you know, um, right, you know, the fact that like the angels are going to probably go for more than the Dodgers did, even, you know, even though that was like almost 10 years ago. Uh, says a lot of like where the state of this game is, right? It's just like in a relatively short amount of time, uh, these franchises are worth just so much more than they than they used to be. Obviously, you can take loans against, you know, use that as equity to take out loans and stuff. And so there's just a ton of money in this game. Um, you know, to me, it's not really, you know, that that's kind of the problem with like the Otani thing in terms, it's more the question to me with Otani is just like, what does he want? Right. Uh, this is not a guy who's wired normally. Um, you know, keep in mind, right. He, he, had he waited two more years in theory, you know, had he not gotten hurt and stayed in Japan two more years, he could have signed, he was looking at a 200, $250 million deal. And he came two years early, uh, and signed for 2 million, right. He got a $2 million bonus. He gave up like $200 million basically. 
And it was because, you know, and he said this at the All-Star game was uh, he wants to be a Hall of Famer. And he timed his thing to come because he wants to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, so he doesn't – we've seen, like, in multiple occasions now, this guy's not – money's not what drives him. I think he's very much a legacy-driven player. And now, you know, the question to me is one more of where is he kind of right now, you know, between cultures. I think for a Japanese – you know, a lot of Japanese players when they come here, they kind of maintain their Japanese essence, right? And even in terms of the way they pitch, you know, guys – you know, obviously in Japan, they pitch once a week and, you know, pitch count isn't important because of that, right? Guys like routinely throw like 140, 150 pitches a game. And even the way you pitch is different, right? Like you get ahead two strikes, like you miss on purpose. Like there's a word for that in Japanese. Um, you know, here it's be aggressive because you need to keep your pitch count down. Do not waste pitches. And, you know, in Japan, it's kind of like the thinking is, you know, in the fifth inning, okay, now I'm getting my rhythm. Now it's time to go. Well, that's the time in the United States that guys – get pulled out of games. And I can tell you that a lot of these pitchers, you know, a lot of them I spoke to personally have told me, you know, they, right. They can't adapt like that. And one thing Otani has shown is a tremendous adaptability. Um, not just in terms of like baseball, but even like in cultural, like, you know, right. He hits home runs now. And, you know, again, J Japanese players aren't very expressive. This guy hits home runs. He's pointing at the sky and it's like, look, they don't, you know, most Japanese people, my mom's Japanese. Like they, most Japanese people don't believe in God. I don't even know what he thinks he's pointing at. <laughs> like, you know, he's kind of body and right. I mean, he, 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 you watch him on the field now, he's kind of acting like a Latin guy, right? And so <laughs> the thing is that I think in, in the Japanese, right? And, and again, when he came here, when he first came here, I remember I went to go visit his high school coach in 2017. And this high school coach kind of remains a trusted advisor to him to this day. And, you know, and I was just kind of like, well, like he's going to sign with like the Dodgers or Yankees, right? And the guy tells me, no, I don't think so. I think he's going to want to do something, go to a place where they don't have a great history of Japanese players. You know, he's going to want to do his own thing and carve out his own road. And so that's kind of where the starting point is, right? Um, now, obviously, he's become, you could kind of tell that he's become more accepting of American ways of thinking. You know, he, he gave a magazine interview fairly recently, um, kind of the Japanese version of Sports Illustrated. And he was talking about how he was prepared to be traded. Now, you have to understand in Japan, trades are fairly infrequent, right? If a team trades you, it means they have given up on you, you know? And so he's explaining to this magazine, like, no, like I was ready for it because, you know, the, the way people take trades in the United States, the way people view trades in the U.S. is much different than it is in Japan, you know. So, again, like, I think from, like, a Japanese standpoint, you know, for him to leave a difficult situation, because loyalty, keep in mind, goes both ways in Japan, right? The team's loyal to the player. The player is also loyal to the team. Uh, you know, for him to bail on the Angels at this point would in some way kind of be viewed as, like, hey, he's kind of running away, right? Things got hard, and he kind of ran away. And then, you know, to go to, like, an obvious team like the Dodgers or Yankees is so, like, cliche almost right um you know now that said uh we've again we've seen his thinking adapt right we, we've seen his thinking evolve and maybe he has gone to a point where it's like you know what this is the way you have to do things here i think again one thing that was really telling was you know he made it a goal of his this year he wanted to right be a minimum uh, qualifier right for both the era title and the batting title and he kind of did both things and once he did it um, you know, it was in the last game in Oakland and after the game he spoke to us and he says, you know, he got asked about that accomplishment and he's like, yeah, now that I've done it, I don't really feel 
it's something that like is worthy of making a goal, right? Like if it happens, great, but it's not like something you need to set out to do. Now, if you ask me to kind of read between the lines there, I think that he was disappointed that like kind of the American media didn't latch onto that that much, right? It's like, oh, this didn't impress. Now, keep in mind, this was a huge story in Japan, right? I think he thought, and look, and I would have given him the MVP award on that basis, right? I mean, this guy's a full-time player going both ways. Uh, you know, now yeah, I, I get the judge argument. I don't, you know, I'm not going to disagree necessarily if you say you thought judge, but like I kind of saw the value in that. Now, I think he was kind of disappointed that like, oh, this wasn't, this didn't like improve my stock, so to speak, in the United States. So forget about it, you know. And again, I think because he's very legacy obsessed, I think he wants to be a Hall of Famer. And it's kind of, you know, again, the, you know, what what his high school coach talked about in terms of like kind of blazing his own path, right? I mean, you you, you talk about athletes who's are even bigger than the franchise they played for. I mean, we're talking about Michael Jordan. We're probably talking about like Maradona and Napoli. And like Pelé and Santos and like probably that's like it, right? I mean, how many sports franchises are there around the world where like one guy, maybe LeBron and the, the Cavs, right? Where like that one guy is bigger than the franchise itself. I think, you know, at least the Otani of five years ago, that's what he would have been looking for, was to go to a place where like I'm going to be, if they win, it's going to be because of me. Uh, what I do wonder about right now is like, hey, if the Dodgers win the World let's say they sign Otani and they win the World Series. Is it because they signed Otani? Well, not necessarily, right? Because, I mean, they could have won this year. They could have won last year. I mean, they're, they're, they're in this every single year, you know? And whatever happens, no matter who you are, the franchise is always kind of, be, kind of bigger than you. And so I think, you know, it's going to be a question of where is his thinking right now? And, frankly, it's really hard to tell because this guy doesn't really talk much, right? And even though he talks after every start, like, he's very guarded with what he says, Um you know, he's one of these guys, anytime he does say anything, you do have to listen, right? And the last time he really said something was, you know, at the end of not this past season, but the year before when he was talking about, you know, as much as I like the Angels, right? I really, right, my feelings of wanting to win are even stronger. And I think that's like the last like real statement that he made. So I think from that, like you can assume he's a goner. But you're right. And here's the thing. It's like nobody can really tell what, you know, and I was around – you know, I saw a bunch of, you know, a few scouts, uh, you know, who have been scouting Otani just back when he was in high school. And that's all we were talking about was just like his makeup. Like, where do you think he is right now? And you're right. From that standpoint, nobody knows. Uh, you know, and again, if he's thinking the way he did five years ago, don't be surprised if he ends up with like a team like the Minnesota Twins or something, right? That has actually like a lot of young up and coming talent, right? It's a type of team. You know, when he, I do think that when he joined the Angels, he did it with the idea of like what he did with Nippon Ham, which is, you know, he got there. They were rebuilding because you Darvish had just left. It's a rebuilding young team. He's establishing, you know, it took him a few years to establish himself as a two-way player. And kind of by the time he's in the full swing of things, those young players on that team had kind of matured and they won a championship. I think that's like kind of like the ideal like vision, right? And and in Japan, that's kind of like the cool way, so to speak, to do things. It's like you get to a project when it's kind of at its beginning and you kind of go through the tough times and you eventually come out on top. Um, you know, so again, that would be like the very Japanese thing to do. Uh, you know, and the practical American thing to do, obviously, is to just, you know what, just, hey, my best chance to win is with the Dodgers or Yankees. Um, you know, maybe it's not, I don't quite get to be Michael Jordan, but at least I'm going to win, uh, you know, and enhance my legacy in that way. So again, who knows what he's thinking? And I, I 100% agree with you, big risk. You know, if, if that's the thinking that, hey, we better save our pennies for Otani, that is a huge risk in that standpoint.
Well, there you have it. Uh, Dylan just broke news. Uh, start getting your Otani Kansas City Royals jerseys, everyone, <laughs> uh, because that's where he's going. I, I want to segue into your, your other article that you wrote, but before that, it, it just brought up what you just said right now. Okay, so if they do miss on Otani, they're going to have a lot of money, but there doesn't seem to be any impact players that are going to be available in the future. And so Andrew Friedman had said at the at the end of the, the postseason last year that maybe it was time for for a little bit of a change up in the organization. And you know, at the beginning of the winter meetings, all indicators said the Dodgers and you had mentioned they were in on Verlander. That didn't happen. Nobody thought they were going to re-sign Trey Turner. They lost Trey Turner. Cody Bellinger. Now I'm starting to think with. You seeing on the market what these guys are signing for? Maybe the Dodgers should have just picked up that that last uh, deal for for Bellinger because other players are getting more money for that. The pressure now, and Roberts has said it, and Friedman has said it. It looks like they're going to give these guys in the farm system a chance. If this blows up in their face, and these guys are not as good as everybody anticipates them to be. Is this not going to be hard times for this organization for a while? Yeah, and I think uh, I'm not sure for a while because what we have seen, you know, like even take like the Mets, right? Um, and we've seen this, we saw this with the Dodgers too in, in 2012. If you spend money like a ton of it quickly, you can turn, turn things around pretty quickly. I do think it could be rough this year in that like the Padres are a pretty good team now, right? And right now at this moment on paper, you could even argue that they're the better team. Um, you know, I think the one kind of saving grace for them is that the Giants uh, can't get anybody to take their money right now, right? <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, I think the presence of the Padres kind of complicates this issue, right? And now all of a sudden it's like, because I think, you know, again, five years ago, they can totally get away with what they're doing right now, right? Because it's okay. Or even just, a, you know, yeah, like in, you know, the 18, 19, whatever season, it's kind of like, okay, well, we can do this when, you know, 89 to 95 games somewhere and win the division easily because there's no one else to contend. Well, now you have a team that's going to be contending with you and the Padres. So it, it does add, uh, you know, some, some pressure there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think one thing, you know, I will credit, uh, and I'm very curious to see how they kind of adapt to this part is, you know, uh, with the rule changes and the shift ban, the one thing the Dodgers have been very good about is, positioning their guys in a way that have made terrible defensive players like passable, right? Corey yeah. Seager played shortstop with this organization for like multiple years. Dude didn't have much rate. You know, Justin Turner can't move anymore, you know, and like I got, obviously I have all the admiration for Justin Turner and everything he's done for the organization, but he is where he is right now age-wise, right? And, you know, you can stick him out there a few times a week at third base and he's, you, right, they, they position him in a way where it's passable. You know, Trey Turner, same deal, right? Not a great defensive shortstop. Um, you know, like my guess is like Muncy's days at second base are over, um, you know, but now all of a sudden this is going to start locking you into certain things now, right? I mean, he's now a DH slash third baseman, uh, you know, and to me, the, the, the really kind of terrifying thing is just the Gavin Lux uh, at shortstop thing, right? I mean, like, what if this guy gets the yips again? I mean, can you imagine? Like, that's just like you're starting short. This, this isn't just like any other position, right? This is like a really important position. And now, like, again, like over the years, because of how smart they've been with this, they have been able to kind of like 
um, you know, to the point where like all their pitchers, you know, how perform their fifths, right? Like they're, you know, um, the defense is clearly has been clearly a benefit. And now, you know, it's, this is going to kind of level that off of that advantage off a little bit. So I am kind of curious from that standpoint. Okay. You know, and you do look at it and, you know, you know, there's some people that I've been talking to are like, well, like, hey, isn't it possible they missed the playoffs? And you kind of start looking at it right now, the way they stand. Uh, you know, I, I, my expectation is that they're going to manage to kind of unearth people, you know, uh, obviously Mark Pryor and, you know, kind of the way they, they kind of integrate the analytics to kind of right rebuild guys and kind of add pitches to their mix that kind of make them re, right. You know, the Tyler Andersons of the world, you know, uh, my guess is that they'll continue to unearth people like that, at least on the pitching side of things. But yeah, you know, you kind of look at that lineup right now at this moment, and it does look, it does look a little thin. So, you know, I think this has been a bad stretch uh, for the Dodgers, not just in terms of the team, but as an organization as a whole. Uh, getting eliminated the way they did, I, I've said this to these guys before, I feel that the fan base is a lot angrier than I've ever seen them. And I told them, I'm like, I think this is going to take a while for them to to get over getting eliminated like this. And for the first time, I felt Andrew Friedman is actually getting some heat uh, uh, about this. And then to see the way that these winter meetings have gone, I'm like, the fans are getting even angrier. And when I see uh, Rosenthal put out there that the reason why the Dodgers aren't going after Correa is because... Yeah, the fan base would be angry about that. Part of me is like, that's bullshit. But then the other part of me is like, I kind of do believe that because I feel this is an organization that has rabbit ears, that has antennas to that kind of stuff. And they do pay attention to that. So let me ask you this. If they don't, if everything does go bad, are they actually going to start feeling pressure from fans? And would they react? Because like you mentioned earlier, Friedman always gets these guys on his terms. Like he makes these deals on on his terms. And like you said, the deals are late. I mean, are you going to start to see, I mean, the Dodger fans get a bad reputation for showing up in the third and leaving in the seventh. But this is a passionate fan base that supports this team and puts money in these guys' pockets. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, like you said, I think we started seeing that a little bit more this winter, right? I mean, up until this year, it was always kind of blame Dave, right? Dave Roberts, yeah. it was always his fault. Um, this time, I think because of the way, because here's the thing, right? Like you actually, you extrapolate this whole thing out, uh, you know, and I was talking to Dave about this too at the, at the winter meetings. It's just like, how were you guys going to get through two more rounds like this? I mean, in if right in a short series, they already had to have a bullpen game. Now you go to the NLCS. There's like no days off after like the first two games, right? So you're playing five in a row. Now you're going to have two bullpen games, right? And you're going to have to keep going back to the same guys over and over and over. Like something's going to go wrong, and that's yeah. kind of what happened, right? And I think you know there is part of me that wonders, um, you know, and arguably it's like one of the you know kind of tone setting. Uh, victories, I think, for this organization, like under Friedman, was the the NLDS against Washington in 16, right? When they, you know, that was the day, right? Uh, Kershaw comes out of the pen yeah. to close it out. And that one, like, went perfectly, right? Every single pitching change, they hit on everything, you know? Um, 
right? You know, they right. It was it was one of those. You know, you're playing blackjack and you you know they hit on like five more cards somehow, and it's like it was almost too perfect. And I kind of feel in some ways that they're almost trying to replicate that, right? Like yes. we've done this before. We can do this like this clean. It reminds me a lot of like Italian soccer teams. And I don't know if you guys are soccer people <laughs> at all, but like, okay, we're going to throw everybody in the back and hit them with one counterattack and win one nothing. And that's like perfect, right? That's the hey, model. It works for Morocco. It works for yeah. Morocco, Dylan. It did. It did. <laughs> but that's like the model of efficiency somehow, right? Like that yeah. became kind of their thing. And like, the problem with this is that like one thing goes wrong here, right? And now you're making, you know, keep in mind, like you make like six pitching changes. That's like, it's also like six times like things could go wrong, you yeah. know? And let's be honest again, right? Relievers are failed starters. They're in the bullpen because they're not that good. They don't have that many pitches, you know? And if that one pitch or two pitches that they have aren't working, uh, you're going to have a bad day there. And so you're counting on like everybody having to be on. And I think, Kind of the way they lost this off, right? This postseason, it kind of laid bare, kind of I think, right? What a lot of us have been kind of saying for years, right? Is that again? I have been, you know, we talked. I think, right? Actually, the last time I was on here was over Julio, right? And my yeah, argument yeah. back then was, dude, you got to get this guy ready to go seven innings because if you don't in October, like this is what's going to happen. Right. And this whole thing about like them devaluing the starting pitching and like leaning as much as they can on the bullpens, it looks smart when it works. But at the same time, you kind of get this thing like, okay, well, like, were you really expecting to get away with this? Right. And like, this could get even worse in the coming years, keep in mind. Um, You know, assuming Urias is gone after this year. Uh, that's like your one guy, and like he's not, you know, in he's not a seven, right? He's like a in a in a tough game, he's a six inning guy, you know, because they because they have never given him a chance to be a seven inning guy. And so what? Like you're gonna have like a bunch of like four or five inning guys out there, and like really you're gonna have like the bullpen cover five innings every single time. So yeah, I think you know from that standpoint, I do think the roster construction kind of for the first time. You know, because I think in previous years, you kind of people fixated on like the one pitching change that went wrong. And it's like, no. oh, that's like Roberts's fault, whatever. Uh, but this time, I think you kind of looked at the roster itself and kind of were thinking like, OK, were they really going to get through multiple rounds of the playoffs like this? And so, yeah, I think that there's already kind of heat on him. And then now, you know, and the, this is the one thing I think like as a business, I'm not really sure that they've done. They've, you know, is that every year the ticket prices keep going up. Right. Mm -hmm. And people keep buying them. And now, you know, and here's the thing about this. Right. And I actually find it like, you know, because a few years ago, it was actually, you know, I I mentioned the the Bryce Harper offseason last time. And at that point, you know, I remember that winter uh, or it was um, at the Fan Fest. Stan Caston and I had a thing kind of going back and forth. And I wrote about it at the time. And Caston's basically saying, hey, like, hey, the fans, hey, by my, you know, I think you're making this up that the fans are unhappy. Right. They're telling us they're fine because they keep buying the tickets. And so he's kind of telling you right there, like, hey, if you keep buying the tickets, you're telling us you're happy. And so, yeah, you know, and I think that, you know, to so me. So you do feel it, right, that the fan base is angry. Oh, yeah, right for now. sure. For sure. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, because this has happened too many times now. And I think what's also going to happen, the more years that go by with them not winning, it changes the way you view 20, right? Now, at the time, I viewed – Look, everybody's playing under the same rules. You know, when the Lakers went into like their bubble, whatever, I wasn't, you know, whatever. And I kind of viewed this the same way, right? In that, hey, you know what? Like, um, this is to me, like, sure, it's different, but like, it's no less legitimate of a World Series. Now, I think though, when you kind of look at this now, 
it was the World Series and it was the playoffs that was most like the regular season and that they had like no days off. Right. And so right. what happened was like, sure, like, you know, the, the you know, you, you start using parts of the pen that you don't want. But other teams that have less depth, you know, because usually right, these bullpens are built around like three guys. Uh, and what ended up happening in that, uh, you know, postseason was like with Atlanta, they started getting into the parts of the pen they really didn't want to use. Right. And yeah. right. And kind of the it allowed the Dodgers to kind of exploit the strengths that carry them through the regular season, which is just kind of their, their back end type depth that usually you wouldn't have to turn to in a playoff series. Right. And it kind of became a these wars of attrition. And so, again, if they keep losing, I think it even changes the way, unfortunately, that 20 championship is viewed. And you're right. I think that there is some pressure now. I like. I even wouldn't be surprised, really, if you know, because one thing that is kind of interesting is, like you said, the 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 blame on Friedman now, right? Yeah. And you're kind of seeing what I found interesting was this: like, for the first time, we saw Friedman really go to bat uh, for Dave Roberts, yeah. uh, kind of at the end of the year press conference. And so you kind of have to kind of start asking yourself, well, why is that, right? Um, now, the one thing Dave Roberts, I do think, has had uh, throughout his entire tenure here is kind of the backing of ownership, right? Ownership has always been 100% invested in Dave Roberts, um, you know. And, you know, if they if he didn't, maybe things would be playing out differently, right? Uh, but, you know, Roberts has the backing of the ownership. And, and to me, kind of what I'm, you know, and maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into this, but, like, Friedman's kind of, like, really wanting to align himself with Roberts is I kind of wonder if he's kind of starting to try to, get some of that goodwill that Dave Roberts has from ownerships <laughs> to kind of shine on to him a little bit. Right. Oh, you know, cause this whole time, you know, like, look, he would kind of give the lip service of like, Oh no, Dave's doing a fine job, but he didn't really go to bat for him. Now it's right, really yeah. like, Hey, this is my brother. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're together in this, right? Like, Hey, if you fire him, you know, if you fire me, you got to fire him too. Cause we're a set. Right. And so yeah. that to me has been kind of interesting kind of watching that, that, you know, uh, relationship in some ways maybe strengthen out of convenience in a way. Um, but yeah, for sure. Like I think, and I think, look, Friedman, and I'll say this about Andrew Friedman is that I do think that he puts a lot of pressure on himself, regardless. Right? I don't think that you know you talk about you know a lot of these elite athletes. Um, you know when you know, they talk about, you know, you ask them about pressure and it's like, well, it can't be any more than the pressure I put on myself. And, and in a lot of cases, that is true, right? Whatever right. the outside world is saying about Clayton Kershaw, you cannot put any more pressure than he already puts on himself. Uh, and I will say this about Andrew Friedman. I do think, because he looks terrible, by the way, during those like playoff games. No, because we, we run into each other oddly in the bathroom a lot in the middle of these games, you know? And yeah. it was funny because, uh, right, oh, because remember before the DS, I wrote, they need, they better start Julio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They absolutely. They better start Julio game one. Like they could not, you know, because there was some idea that they might be trying to do something cute, start Kershaw game one, whatever. Yes. And exactly. so, they're so they're losing game one, I think, at some point. Right. And I run into Friedman in the bathroom and I just kind of jokingly goes, hey, man, you I guess you started the wrong guy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and he just was like, I mean, stone. You know, um, so he does put a lot. I do think he cares a lot. He he comes across badly sometimes in public. Right. And that he comes across as a little bit because I think he gets a little defensive sometimes. And um, it 
it affects the way he like responds to questions, you know, to, to critical I, I questions. know Castillo, Castillo is not on his Christmas list. I know after this last, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, but that's kind of the thing, right. It's like, I would kind of, I think he should actually be a little more confident in himself actually. Right. And just kind of, cause the guys that like, look, there's nothing wrong with just saying like, Hey, I messed up. If anything, those are the guys you kind of trust more. Right. Yeah. The one thing about like Farhan Saidi, right, was like, you know, remember the when they traded D Gordon, D Gordon was the batting title. Right. Yeah, so like, yeah. right. And then D Gordon, remember that winner? He started, he was winning like an award every single day, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah so I was like teasing him about this stuff. And just Farhan's thing was like, yeah, yeah, we fucked up. Right. <laughs> yeah. We made a mistake. Like, whatever. Right. Like, right. Yeah, it happens. And you can kind of, you can respect that. Right. Because, yeah. Like, hey, we're not expecting everybody to be perfect. You're going to make a mistake. It's the accountability. Is, it's accountability right. when you yes. say that. And the, and the problem, though, is when you kind of start to try to explain like every little thing away and no, I'm never wrong and I've never made a mistake. That's when it kind of comes across as like arrogance. Right. And so, yeah. and honestly, I do think that. If kind of that insecure, whatever insecure, you know, it's, it's, and it's kind of a double edged thing, right? Because insecurity is what drives people to excel. Um, you know, but you don't want to be insecure to the point where I think it maybe cripples you in some ways. And there are some times when I look at Friedman and I kind of wonder if this guy were just a little bit more not on edge, you know, maybe this thing would go like a little bit better, right? Maybe, yeah. I mean, here we are like eight years in, they have not really dealt with Scott Boris in earnest. You know, yeah. and I think this kind of goes back to, um, you know, what I talked about earlier about this, like this, this need of theirs to like, we need to win every transaction. And here's the thing is like Friedman is the guy who said this himself, right? We quote this all the time now that if you're rational on every free agent, you're going to finish third. He said this, right? He doesn't practice it because he needs to win every little thing and he's got to be like rational. But I wish that he would have that confidence. Yeah, I overpaid for that guy. But you know what? That's what we had to do to get the guy. And if you're kind of take it like that, I think it kind of changes everything, right? Because I think part of like when you kind of look at this, the organization right now, too, is like you have like an absentee owner in Walter that hasn't answered, right? I mean, I don't think he's still talked about Bauer from what I know, right? Yes. Yes, right? you're absolutely so right. You have this absentee owner, right? Uh, cast in by like all accounts, like, right? I mean, that guy, like that guy's 100% arrogant. 100% of the time. Like Friedman's at least like a funny, you know, uh, you know, fairly like friendly guy, I would say like 70% of the time at least until he kind of yeah. gets back in the corner, right? But this isn't like the most like likable group of people to begin with, right? And as, you know, and they're jacking it and all of a sudden like now you're paying like $50 to park at Dodger Stadium, you know, and you're paying like X amount for tickets and now a stupid hot dog with the Dodger dog, they made it worse and they're charging you more. Um, you know, this isn't an organization that you're exactly going to cut, right? You're not going to like give them a break here, you know, because yeah. it's like they're trying to extract every little dime out of you, you know, and soon they're going to have probably like a center field back there. Once gambling's like legal, you know, they'll be taking even more of your money because you're going to be betting on what Max Muncy does in the second inning or something. Um, <laughs> right. So you, it's not, yeah, they haven't exactly done, you know, and, and this, here's the thing about this, right? It's like the smallest gestures a lot of times can go really go a long way. I mean, Artie Moreno, by lowering those beer prices, I mean, he lived off that for like a decade at least, right? Yeah. Just like off the little beer thing. It's like, ah, oh, no, like Artie's fine. Meanwhile, like, 
you know, he wasn't the best owner. But just to like occasionally show like just kind of some humanity, I don't think would like really hurt. And, and you're right, right? So the fans are not like in the mood, I think, right now to, to cut these people a break. So I, I want to segue to that second article that you wrote uh, with Roberts. And it just, it's funny listening to you right now talk. It does seem like the Dodgers are getting it from all directions right now. It does feel like they no longer can take it easy. They need to step up. They can't coast because you have teams like the Metropolitans. You have teams like the show pods that are spending money, that are spending the money that fans expect the Dodgers to spend. Right. And I think that's a good thing. I really do, because it applies pressure to the Dodgers. I think what people should be writing articles about is those teams that don't spend money because the Mets and the show pods paying into the payroll tax. Guess who gets that money from the payroll tax? The Reds, the Royals, those teams, the Pirates, those teams that don't spend money. So if you want to be angry at anyone, be angry at those guys. So you're going to have that kind of animosity coming, but it seems like all the animosity, all the intensity that we have anger gets directed at Dave Roberts. And you wrote this article and I had said this to Babyface when I heard Roberts first say that it seemed that the show pods had more intensity on their side during the playoffs. And I was just like, you know what? I don't know if I want to hear my manager saying that. Because technically, that's his job. He's got to have his players ready to, to, to play. Plaschke wrote an article earlier saying that maybe Roberts needs a bench coach, a better bench coach. And I'm just like, come on, man. That seems like another excuse. If you're going to get a better bench coach, then what you're basically saying is your manager is not good enough to win. You pose a very interesting question in your article. Everyone seems to identify that there is a lack of intensity, but nobody knows how to fix it. And now that you've got a bunch of minor leaguers that are going to be playing unproven minor leaguers, how do they address this? And do they have a lack of intensity problem on this team? And is that what's causing them to be unsuccessful in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I I do wonder that, you know, and it was funny because, um, you know, some of us were talking about this even during the regular season when everything was going great, right, is, and I do think this helps them in the regular season. They don't get too high. They don't get too low. You know, they have a bunch of guys that kind of come in, do their work, um, you know, and also the game has kind of changed, I think, right, um, in that, you know, the, the days of like kind of players sitting around the clubhouse and, talking baseball, right, hanging around after the game and just kind of talking the game. That doesn't really exist anymore because the learning is coming now through the analytics, frankly, right? The video room, you know, the you have coaches that are coming in telling you statistically this is what you need to do. And, guys, they're almost like independent contractors now. They come in. The These, these plans are, like, very specifically suited for them, right? You're good at hitting this. You look for this. This is the times that they're going to throw it to you. Um, you know, so – you know, already I think it's a more difficult in some ways environment to kind of get everybody like on one page uh, just in general. But, yeah, I think a lot of it, too, though, has to do it's a personality thing. Right. It's you know, they wanted 
don't know if they necessarily wanted it, but this is just kind of how it's turned out, right? Is that they have a lot of these kind of like even keel guys who don't get too high, don't get too low, or a lot of times like are kind of more introverted, right? I mean, you know, as good as like Freddie Freeman is with the media, like in the room, he's kind of, again, he's a little more introverted. Mookie Betts kind of more or less kind of keeps to himself. Um, you know, the guy who's by far the most respected player in the clubhouse is Clayton Kershaw, but he pitches only once every five days. And, you know, while I do think he could be that kind of Adam Wainwright type of leader who, even though he pitches only once every five days, if he were to kind of take the bull by the horns, um, you know, I think he could be that guy because I've seen, you know, even going back, you know, it's funny, we, we saw Puig at the winter meetings, whatever, but I remember years ago, um, you know, Kershaw, like, really kind of complimented Puig at one point. I remember for, like, the next, like, two weeks, Puig was, like, on the best behavior, right, because I think he was so happy <laughs> That like shit, like Clayton Kershaw says something really nice about me, right? You know, right? Because then you know he's the Leo Messi or the the Ronaldo of your sport, right? Where yeah. if that guy compliments you, that like carries weight. But you know, but Kershaw's like just such like a principled guy in a way that like I think he feels I only pitch once every five days, I can't overstep that boundary. And so kind of what you've had over the years, it's like okay, there's this kind of like leadership vacuum there, and when somebody needs to step into it, it's Justin Turner kind of being like okay, well, I'm not really that guy, but somebody needs to say it. So like, I will, you know, and, but yeah, like you have, you know, I don't know how to say this without like, yeah, but it's, I mean, honestly, like, it's just like a bore, it's turned into like a pretty boring room, you know, um, <laughs> the baseball players used to, you know, and I, again, I think a lot of it is just kind of the age too of like social media and people know, like everything's getting filmed. And if you say something now, right. I mean, if, you know, that clubhouse of like Matt Kemp and Andre Ethier and Russell Martin. And, you know, I do want to clear up now that like we're all good now. <laughs> you know, they're all wonderful <laughs> people now that they're retired. But back in the day, we might have not always gotten along very well, right? And sometimes El maestro de la bronca, ladies and gentlemen. El maestro you de know, la bronca. I might or might not have told one of these players like, hey, like I'm surprised you even know how to read, right? And then like they get even madder and like we just like go, right? And I mean, stuff that like, again, you couldn't both ways right i mean i probably couldn't say the things that i used to to these guys they couldn't say it to me just because like somebody would have like tweeted it out or something but you know like those clubhouses had like a lot of personality right i mean that first you know 07 was my first year and even like brad penny and maybe not the best way right was like very much like brad penny you know and yeah and and low and you had kent and all this like it was just very um, you know, kind of depending on like where the team was, like you could feel it in the air, right? Whereas like right now you walk into the clubhouse and you don't know if they're 10 games under 500 or 10 games over. And again, I think that over a six month regular season, that really works, right? But, you know, you talk about, um, you know, because Joe Torre used to talk about this a lot too, because he was a big believer in kind of these emotional waves and in, in sports and stuff. And, you know, kind of talking about, right, NFL, you gradually build up to Sunday. And then you get here and then you come back down and then you kind of do it again. Whereas baseball is just like, at least in the regular season, it's here. Now in the playoffs, the trick is to kind of take this and kind of raise it up one notch. Right. And how do you kind of do that? And, you know, I don't think it's like you said, like it's not an easy thing in that, like, that's what made them successful. Right. They won 111 games like this, you know, so it's if it's all of a sudden like, okay, well, we kind of got to be like rah-rah all of a sudden. Well, that's not like really real either. And you're kind of getting away from what made you successful. You know, and I think that's the thing, though, is that you want it to come kind of organically, right? And certain guys, there are guys that are just kind of like, hey, it's like showtime, whatever, 
right? I mean, and you look, um, you know, Freeman, maybe not the most like vocal guy. He showed up in that series. And look, he and I had problems this past year. Um, you know, that said, I think he's a phony, but there's like nothing phony about his game, right? Dude can hit. <laughs> Dude can really, really hit. And he hits. The thing, too, is like, you know, after he got snubbed from that All-Star game, right? First he, time, Yeah, like, he went he, on a tear. He went on he a tear. Went, he went because it was like, yeah, he, you know, he he looked like I'm going to show you guys. Right. Yeah. I mean, dude goes back to Atlanta. He's how does he hit like that? This is got like tears in his eyes. He's still can hit, right? Um, he's kind of has that like fire. But you like, hurt his kinda, feelings, Dylan. You I hurt did. his feelings. And, and he man. and he well, and that's the thing though. But he responded to that, right? I mean, if you go before and after, like me, when after I buried him, that's when that guy's because when that guy's back's against the wall, he shows up. You're welcome, <laughs> you know? Roberts. You're, You're welcome, Roberts. <laughs> you know. Um, but again, he's not that vocal, you know, so it's kind of about finding that guy. And it doesn't have to be a great player necessarily, right? We've seen guys, you know, um, right? I'm not surprised at all that Skip Schumacher is managing right now, you know, because he was a guy like, you know, you, I think if Kirsch, Clayton Kershaw were to make, and I'm not to speak for Clayton here, but like make a list of like the 10, 15 most influential guys in his career, Schumacher might be on that list. Like even years after Schumacher had left, Kershaw would talk about him, you know? And so you kind of need, right? It could be a guy like that too, you know? And the closest we probably had, the Dodgers had to that guy this year was Hanser Abeltro, who didn't even make the postseason roster, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of like you you kind of need, you know, and again, I I personally, you know, again, you know, it's been like four years now, right? The, the Bryce Harper thing. I think Bryce Harper is one of those guys. You know, Bryce yeah. Harper could have been that guy. I think Juan Soto's that guy. You know, he could be that guy, um, you know, but for whatever reason, they've kind of managed to, you know, kind of go away from that, that big personality. And like, you know, I think they've kind of built this team kind of in the image of what they thought maybe Leighton Kershaw was like, right? The kind of quiet lead by example guy. Except the thing is that underneath, Kind of that, like you know, hey, I build orphanages and stuff. Whatever's a there's a fucking killer down there, right? Yeah. Like on game day, that guy's like smoldering, you know. Yeah. And yeah. you know, maybe you need kind of that and add like a you know, and keep in mind a lot of those years too, right? It was him and AJ Ellis, right? AJ was his, you know, Kershaw at that point wasn't talking too much about you know. Right now he's at the end of his career, so he's very open about everything. But you know, during those peak years when he was feeling a lot of that pressure, hey, I got to be that guy. Um, you know, AJ Ellis was kind of the Kershaw interpreter, right? To kind of tell yeah. the world, like, hey, this is what our guy's thinking here. And, you know, and the team, I, I felt kind of would take on his that personality a lot. Um, you know, like the weird thing, too, is, you know, I look at the Padres and, you know, with like Machado, I do think he's one of these guys who chokes. And if you, if you go back and like look at every like key at bat that he had in the Dodgers series with guys on base, he did not hit, right? He only hit when the bases were empty. Now he plays great defense. But <laughs> yeah, the thing does. is, but the thing is with Machado though, is that he kind of takes on that, he plays the part. Now I don't think he necessarily lives up to it, but he plays the part. And, you know, you have this team that kind of hasn't been there before. They don't know any better. So they've kind of just followed that lead and they've kind of adopted the personality he's at least trying to project. Right. And so you kind of have this, you know. Um, so, yeah, I do think, you know, I, I was kind of joking with Roberts, you know, it sounds like you think they need a Dave Roberts on the team. You guys need a Dave Roberts on the team. Right. <laughs> a kind of guy who's going to like force something to happen 
you know, and he was obviously like, well, you know, obviously these guys are much better players than I was, but I, I do think that there is a little bit something to that. Um, and I don't, I'm not surprised that Dave Roberts of all people would view this situation in those lights, right. In that light, because he was a guy who, you know, went to UCLA as like a non-scholarship guy, you know, um, right. Was kind of late coming up to the, right. Spent a lot of time in the minor leagues and just kind of, you know, maximize whatever, you know, he was a guy that really couldn't hit, but had speed and okay. How am I going to carve out a career with kind of the limited tools that I have? And my guess is that he's looking at the guys on these teams thinking like, man, if, if I was just, if I had that guy's talent, right. How good would I have been, you know? And, you know, I mean, we all do that, right. We're all watching games on team, man, if they had just, you know, if I had that guy's talent, like, you know, I wouldn't be done. So I think that a lot of that, that's kind of where that's coming from. And you know what? And I think it's, um, and I'm not a hundred percent convinced necessarily that that is the issue. You know, again, I think they, the biggest thing was that they just ran out of arms. Right. And, you know, this kind of goes back to the pitching staff philosophy and construction and stuff like that. But I do think it's good that like Roberts voiced that because, um, you know, I think for a very long time in this organization, it's kind of been, well, what we do works, right? And we're just going to keep doing it over and over and over. And finally, at least, like, somebody has come out and said, you know what, like, maybe we need to change the way we're looking at this, right? And I think that's healthy, right, that you have, you know, uh, as much as Friedman has talked about, you know, we want a variety of ideas in our front office. The truth is, is that they pretty much have hired just a bunch of people who kind of view the game the same way. And so, you know, would I have preferred that a player had come out and said something like this and the manager? Cause I think your instinct, you know, you mentioned, I'm not sure this is something I want a manager to say. Uh, no. I agree hundred percent with that. At the same time, it kind of got to a point, well, somebody has to say it, you know? And if one of the leaders of the team, if it's not Mookie, if it's not Freddie, if it's not Clayton, well, somebody's going to have to say it. And I think Roberts just kind of took it upon himself to do that. Uh, Babyface has a theory uh, when it comes to that. Go ahead, Roger. Roger, you're on mute. You want to wake up? We're doing a show yeah. here. Thanks, man. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to unmute here. So you mentioned guys like like Hanser, like that's the only guy that they had. This is kind of like their raw rod, like their cheerleader, right? And in previous years, they had guys like Kike and stuff like that, right? So one thing I see in common, like with these guys that are like really vocal and really out there, and we've talked to guys like Cartaya and Vargas, and they always say the Latin guys are the loudest guys in, in that clubhouse. You think that you know, seeing like Machado, seeing Soto, seeing those guys are really animated when they're out there playing. And you feel that energy when you, when they're playing the Padres, you know, these guys, they get a single and these guys are flipping bats and like running down the line. You know, do you think that has something to do with it? Cause compare, you can you know, compare and contrast with the Dodger players. There's no Dodger player that's like that. Right. There's, there's yeah, nobody on the team. Yeah. I think honestly, and you kind of got to the heart of the matter there. Right. I mean, you look at the roster, like it's gotten wider and wider and wider and wider. <laughs> Um, and again, like, right. And I just, just, just to remind everybody before I start getting hate mail again, I did point out Bryce Harper as being as one of those guys. Um, but yeah, I do think, okay. I, I, you know, okay. No one's explicitly said this to me. Okay. So this is just kind of me speaking here. And this is kind of a theory of mine, but again, the way they teach hitting, right. Um, a lot of it is kind of based on like the analytics stuff. And now keep in mind, right. Corey Seager, uh, you know, who's, uh, you know, dad has like a white collar job and everything. And, you know, Seager seems to be like, he didn't like that stuff at all. Right. They put numbers in front of him and he'd say, get that shit out of my face. Like, you know, 
Um, and they kind of clashed a little bit, right, because of that. Um, so this is not like necessarily like a race-based thing, I think. But like, I think they want guys that they feel can kind of like are good at like absorbing information, like in, in that type of form, right? Because there are different ways of absorbing information. Like some guys can just, I'm sure, just like look at it, you know, the guys we consider like quote unquote natural hitters, but it doesn't mean like, you know, right. You know, when they talk about like instincts and stuff, it's not like that some guys, he's just like randomly swinging. Right. There's a very sophisticated thought process to that. It's just like some people just like, you know, they respond better when stuff like written material is given to them, whatever. And so like, yeah, like you look at like their signings and stuff. Right. I mean, coincidentally or not, a lot of their guys come from Venezuela, which is a communist country and communist countries tend to have better education. Right. And like, you, again, you look at a guy like Cartaya, perfect example of this. Um, you know, it's a guy, he seems very right. I mean, he picked up English very quickly. You know, he seems to be kind of like, you know, uh, you know, I was, I was talking to the, you know, the, the catching coach that um, with whom he, he lived, whatever. And, you know, he's talking about how he's already asking questions about finance and stuff. Right. This is like a person who's just like soaks in information kind of in that type of way. I think a lot of it is the type of player they're like looking for, right? And they're looking less for kind of that emotional raw raw type guy and more like the guy that is going to fit into the way we do things, right? Which is more kind of, you know, um, you know, written material, memorization, that type of stuff. And people like that, right, tend to be a lot of times a little bit more introverted, a little bit more quiet. They internalize things more. And so, yeah, it, it doesn't, you know, right, like Puig's not that guy, for example, right? And I'm not saying, by the way, that he should bring back Puig at all. But, um, you know, those types of guys, a lot of times, like, that's not that's not the, that's not the type of player that you're looking for. And I, I do 100% agree with that, is that, like, yeah, you kind of, like, look at the clubhouse. Like, traditionally, yeah, a lot of times that is, like, the Latin, the, the, they're the Latin guys, right? It was Manny, and it was Hanley, and it was Uribe, and it was, you know, those are kind of the guys, right? I mean, you know, uh, Gratterall, right? I mean, you know, the, those are the guys that kind of inject that, like, life into the, you know, the dugout and in the clubhouse and stuff. And yeah, you know, and I think that that's kind of, again, one thing that they're going to kind of have to learn how to bridge a little bit more, probably, you know, so that they have a little bit more of that uh, kind of going forward. Very, very interesting. Uh, once again, uh, make sure you guys subscribe to to Dylan. You're going to get some in-depth analysis. I'm sure, Dylan, you didn't think we were going to drive it there. But being that we are <laughs> the only Latino podcast that covers the Dodgers, look, I, I'm, I'm getting ready because when the Dodgers lose Urias, people are going to lose their shit. And especially because you look at, we've said this many times on this show, the majority of the fan base, at least we think, is Latino. And you brought up an interesting point, whether we want to admit it or for whatever reasons. I'm sure it's the same way African-Americans felt when they stopped seeing African-Americans on these teams going, where are all the black people players? Right. You know, so it's, it, it is something to, uh, to discuss. I hope you don't get hate mail. If you do, you can, <laughs> you can blame, you can blame Babyface for taking you down that route. But anyways, you know what, here's the thing though, right? Is like, it's a, it's kind of the obvious thing that nobody's saying out loud, but everybody kind of intrinsically understands, you know, it's just at my, uh, my daughter's soccer game, whatever, you know, and one of the people there is like a big, like Dodger fan. And we had the same exact conversation and it kind of unfolded the same exact way. Right. Where eventually it just kind of got to like, 
hey, you know, like I noticed, like, is it because there are like no Latino players on the team? And it's like, well, you can probably draw that correlation, right? I mean, I think that's the one thing is that everybody kind of gets that. I, and I agree with the Urias thing, too. And that's going to be a hell of a situation that they're going to be in. It's kind of like trying to explain that thing away, right? I mean, they're going to try to blame Boris, you know. For, oh, yeah. I, know. I think that's very astute of you, uh, what you said in the sense that this organization has not dealt with him. And I never really thought about it until the way you phrased it there. It's about the win, yeah. you know. But the problem is, is whenever we bring this stuff up, Dylan, you get accused of, of being woke or all this. And it's just like, you know, I'm, I, I, there are some problems. I get that. But acknowledging a lack of diversity or why thing, of, oh, it's saying that race has nothing to do with what's going on is just a naive point of view and you want people to represent you in in the city i mean that's why people were so happy that mookie was on the dodgers right and the fact that mookie wears that shirt saying we want more black people playing in mlb and it, it went by like that it wasn't even an issue it wasn't even addressed and it's just like man what does mookie have to do to say hey you know we got to do this stuff so yeah well there's I also i think it. There's also a difference, I think, right, between kind of like tokenism and like yeah. actual meaningful representation. Like, you know, because, again, we're talking about like a very specific. It's not like, hey, we need like a, a Mexican guy or a right a Panamanian or on the team just to have a guy that looks like us on the team. That's not what we're right. saying. Right. We're yeah. saying this is like affecting the actual culture of the team. Right. And that basically that the culture of the team would improve by having more diversity. Right. Yes. Or that like I would, you know, again, you know, the echoing Mookie sentiments, right? Um, you know, every other like major sport that's like growing has like a very high percentage of like black players, like black athletes, right? My guess is that like baseball would be better if it had more black athletes, right? And so it's not just like, hey, I just want to see a black guy for the sake of seeing a black guy. Right. It's yeah. that no, it would actually like improve the product, right? And like the fact that like yeah, you know, and that's the thing too, right? Because obviously, you know, when it comes to the NFL, I've written about like, you know, the, the whole coaching thing and like, you know, like black guys don't get a chance. And it's like, well, no, these teams are actually kind of hurting themselves. If you're like eliminating what, like 80% of the player pool from like your head coaching, you yeah. know, candidate pool, like what, you think all of these guys are just like bad coaches? Like that's just like really nice, you know, because we talk about like guys, you know, like, Right. You know, the, the Ed Reeds and whatever. Right. The, the, how, what a smart player this guy is. You know, a lot of times it is a black guy or Latino guy. Like, why can't that guy manage or coach or whatever? You know, maybe he made too much money and he doesn't want to deal with that shit. But, you know, um, hey, Luke Walton always... was a high basketball IQ guy, yeah. Dylan. Yeah. yeah. Well, but that's the thing, though. Right. It's like, you know, and so, like, I just think it's just like bad. You know, it's not that like I really need to see like a Latino coach or a black coach or whatever. It's just I just think it's not smart to just like eliminate this yeah. percentage of the, the, the right the candidate pool. There we go, and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. So, Dylan, where can they direct all the hate mail to you uh, <laughs> on the socials? Uh, well, I'm at Dylan O Hernandez. Uh, you can email me at Dylan Hernandez at LA Times dot com. I'm a horrible responding to emails. 
uh, like my bosses have even like gotten mad at me for like <laughs> accusing me of insubordination for not responding to emails, but it's not insubordination. I just like don't check it. And even when I do, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'll respond later. And I, a lot of times I just don't. Uh, so Twitter is probably the best place to get to me. So Dylan at Dylan O. Hernandez. There we go. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a big thank you to the Maestro of the Bronca uh, for joining us. We always love having him on here because he keeps it real. And in some cases, we have a Chappelle show where keeping it real goes wrong. But whatever. At least we have truth uh, being told on the show. So again, uh, make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. You uh, ha sido su servidor, Juan Ramirez, mi colega, babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. Nos vemos. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.